In this episode, our Talk Toronto Professional Development series hosted up Pitching a TV Agent with Amy Stuhlberg from Vanguard Artists Management as she shares ways you can pitch your manuscript to make it on screen. I'm delighted to welcome Amy Stolberg. Amy is an agent at Vanguard Artist Management, has been a member of the Vanguard team for 17 years. She studied stage and screen at Queen's University, managed commercial photographers in Toronto, and had a brush with dangerous studying stunts before following her passion for storytellers into the film and TV world. Amy survived the 10, day of tif, 10 days of TIFF, although she has ended up with a cold. So she is, uh, we're very grateful for her to be here today to talk to us about possibilities for writing in the film and TV world. So please give her a very warm welcome. Thanks, Helen. I am under the weather. And this is very intimidating to be talking to a room full of authors when you are a bit heady and can't string a sentence together, but I will do my best. As Helen mentioned, I'm a film and TV agent. Uh, What does that mean? We uh, at Vanguard represent writers, directors, uh, filmmakers, producers, cinematographers, production designers, editors, composers. We are very strategic-based, very managerial, very career-focused. Um, We represent a lot of hybrid people, uh, meaning people who write, but they also direct, or they edit, but they want to direct, or they're cinematographer, but they want to produce. And sometimes that leads us down the path of book to film. What does book to film mean? I'm sure all of you know, but I'm just going to cover just in case. It's when your books or essays or articles, plays have cinematic potential. They want to be movies and television shows. And uh, we get involved in all aspects of that, the rights exchange, the option purchase agreements, the selling of it to studios or networks and buyers, producers. We work with the author to and the author's agent or publisher to make sure that happens properly, sort of jumping ahead, but there are other ways. So how are we involved? We either have a client that is one of these things, it's this hybrid or uh, an author, but also a writer in the film and TV space. And they have something that they want to get out there. And so we help secure that. Or we have a writer, a director, filmmaker, producer on the hunt for IP. And we do our best to source that material, handle the option purchase. Then once we get the package ready, packaging is a fancy term for... um, getting my halls in my mouth. And then we turn for finding the team, bringing together a proper team, we take it out to buyers. IP or intellectual property, if there's anything that I can leave you with today is that you're, you're in a very powerful position. Your material, no matter what it is, is unique to you and has a strong point of view. And that's incredible source material for the film and television world. What does it look like? And this is one of the things I was trying to think of. What does that process look like? How do you have a book that then becomes a television show or a feature film? That process can happen in many ways. It's, there's no one way. And there's no blueprint to getting it done. As I mentioned, like each book or play or essay or short story is a unique baby. And so each journey is going to be different. 
it could happen really easily. Gillian Flynn is a perfect example of someone like that who had a best-selling book and it was extremely commercial. It was a beautiful thriller and it was bought in galley form for in a huge bidding war between studios and 20th Century Fox and New Regency won with Reese Witherspoon attached to produce and Ben Affleck comes on board with Rosamund Pike and then all of a sudden you have David Fincher attached to direct and you make $300 million at the box office. That's for Gone Girl. Sorry, I should probably tell you. That's Gone Girl. And then now she's got, Gillian has had Sharp Objects be made into a TV show and she has an overall deal at Amazon Studios to make more television. So that happens that one way. Then there's another way it could happen. It's a more challenging but very fulfilling role, road. There's a playwright now, screenwriter, Terrell Alvin McCranny. He had an unpublished play about his mother who was dying of AIDS and his struggle to come out with it and get comfortable with his sexual identity. And he was introduced to Barry Jenkins through an arts foundation in Miami. And they hit it off and they decided to adapt this unpublished play into Moonlight. They got it in the hands of a producer named Jerry McCliner, who actually lives in LA now, but is a secret Canadian. He's an awesome guy uh, at Plan B Entertainment, which is Brad Pitt's company. And Mahershala Ali signs on, and then Janelle Monet signs on. And then that gets the attention of A24, which is this amazing production and distribution company who gives them $4 million to make the movie. And that year it wins every award around the world, including Best Picture, Golden Globes, and Academy Awards, and makes $60 million, which isn't like the huge amount of money, but is an extremely fulfilling process and beautiful movie. And then on a much smaller scale, but also successful, there's a Toronto writer, Catherine Hernandez, who had a book, Scarborough, DD alumni, who really wanted her project to be a cinematic picture. And she joined forces with two documentary filmmakers, Rich Williamson and Shasha Nakai. They wrote this feature film. Rich is directing. I don't know a ton about this project because it's just in production now, but they're making it with money from Canadian Council and Telefilm to Watch, which is the Telefilm, which is our governing uh, funding agency in, in movies gave them $125,000 to make a movie. It's a very small amount of money to make a movie. But they're doing it, and that's a big accomplishment. And then there are times when it doesn't happen that fast, and it happens over many years. To name drop a little bit, I remember um, I was a very young agent, and I was very excited because my friend had gotten a job as the new development executive at Tribeca Films in New York. And he invited me to come in and meet with Robert De Niro and Jane Rosenthal. And I was sweating profusely. And they gave me the task of getting Margaret Atwood to give them the rights to <laughs> all <laughs> to her books. And I didn't even, I still don't know Miss Atwood. By the time she, there was, it was a hard no. Like no one got the rights to those books. Now, of course, it's a little bit of a different story. Years later, um, 15 years later, uh, Handmaid's Tale and Alias Grace and her new, her next one. I think it's at MGM in development. 
That's like a long road, obviously. I have a client, a uh, writer-director, Jason LaPere, an amazing filmmaker, who is fascinated by true crime. And he'd been searching for projects for years to help him tell a story about the underbelly of the Hare Krishna, which not many people know about. Um, we searched everywhere, and we did come across a book called Monkey on a Stick. It was published in 1988 by two Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists, John Hubner and Lindsay Grubner. We, it was a seriously long, lengthy negotiation there, uh, but we did acquire the rights. Their book, that book had been in the studio system in Los Angeles for many, many years, almost a movie, almost a TV show attached with big names. It just like wasn't happening and they were pretty frustrated. But Jason won them over. We have the rights. And then we've gone out to a number of production companies. There was a bidding war. And just last week, we came up with a plan where a documentary company was going to handle the doc rights and the a very big production company is going to handle the narrative rights and together they'll work together to produce two very different styles of show based on the same source material, which sort of leads me to my next topic, which is that I want to cover in questions with you is how are you involved? Where are the opportunities for you as authors? And that's really done in sort of four ways. First way is not at all. You don't want to be involved in the film and television business. You think it's beneath you, which is totally fair. Uh, and you would just like to see your work become a beautiful motion picture or television show. The second way would be if you act as a consulting producer or a creative consultant on it. You don't write for screen, but you, you want to be involved when the uh, purchase is made of your book. And you want to be involved in packaging who's on it, the writer, the director, the, where it goes, and you can have meaningful consultation on that. The third way, which is what most people these days are doing, which would be to co-write. So someone's interested in your book, they option the book, and it's, it's a part of the deal going in that you will be a co-author of any screenplay, any pilot that's written, any scripts that are written you were co-authoring and that's built into your deal whatever that is and that deal is separate from obviously your book deal and the fourth way is that you adapt all your own material which is a little bit unusual especially starting out it would be once you get to a certain point like the Gillian Flynn res reference she adapts everything herself now so that that's the fourth way and it's a little more unusual these days but who knows what the trend's going to be going forward. And then I guess what happens in between the option purchase and the production is the material that you have to pitch with. So sometimes it's not solid enough or good enough to just have the book. Sometimes you need to go out with more material. So that's, that might include a lookbook or we call it a pitch deck, which um, sets the mood, the tone, what you think it's going to look like. Um, that's with pretty pictures and some explanation of your vision. Accompanying that would be what's called a Bible. You know, usually 10 to 30 page document. Again, with pictures it can be, but explaining how you see the sh series. So your series or feature film will look a lot different than the book. So how you're going to turn your book into a, a different kind of medium of storytelling. 
who are the characters you're going to keep. Maybe there's new characters you're going to expand into that don't exist in the book. Sample episodes of how you see the, sh- the series unfolding, or if it's a feature film, how you see the three-act structure working, or four-act structure, whatever it is, however you see it, or a mini-series. I mean, there's so many ways now to make books or into television or feature film. And if it's a television series, sometimes it comes with a pilot. It's actually kind of recommended. I recommend my clients writing pilots if they're just starting out so that you stay as attached as possible to the material um, and to the project, which is to illustrate that you know how to write for television. Because sometimes it's hard for people to make that leap in their mind. So they want to they see that you can structure and understand what to leave out and not what to get too attached to and what to emphasize. And I think that's probably why you're here is to figure out like if you want to do this, if you'd want to do this and how you do this, right? So just uh, we will open up to questions, but let me ask one before. So there's, option, there's the scenario one where somebody is looking to actively sell uh, their work and then there's scenario two where a producer or director is working with you guys as an agency to research or look for work. When you said that you research, you look, how, what research does that take? How do we match make our writers to your... It's a really good question. Because it, um, your people. Thank you for asking that question because sometimes it seems like more effort than it should be because there's so much, right? We contact book agencies to find out what kind of material they have available. They usually send us their catalog of what's available. There's so much that sometimes it would be great if they, and some do, some really good book agents do, point out to you the things they feel could make great motion pictures or great TV shows. We contact people in Canada and the US and the UK, uh, mostly, sometimes Australia, but not as much. We hunt for, we ask friends, we ask our clients, we ask our producers what they're reading, we ask anyone who's read a good book. We track down secret spies we have within the industry of what's in galley form that maybe we would get our hands on before it hits the market. We go see a lot of plays. We talk, um, there's just a lot, an endless amount of research. Um, online, not as much. It's not like you're just going to Google like, what could make it a TV show? It's more uh, word of mouth and just hunting and being on the ground. I'm meeting with a director on Monday. Yes, who's, who's very keen to make my indie book into a TV series. So if I, but I have no clue what I should be asking her and I don't have an agent. So number one question, what, what number one question should I ask? Oh, that's a really good question. No pressure there. Just the future of her book project. <laughs> well, first of all, you don't have to mention who the director is. Okay, this is a two-part answer. The first part of this is a very holistic answer, which is you have to work off your gut and feeling in this meeting. So you have to get a good feeling from this director that they understand your material enough and that they have a strong vision that you support and that they care enough about you in this process to move forward. And that sometimes is on gut. Sometimes you have to look past what people say and you just have to have a strong feeling and read of the situation. You're an author, so I'm sure you pick up on that pretty quickly. The question 
I would imagine it would be around the material. What message do you want to tell the world with my book? What story particularly do you want to tell? What, why, why my book? And I think you'll get a pretty, pretty big conversation out of that. And then maybe think before you go in, as I, I, do, as I do in every meeting, and something that I learned very early on by my boss, who actually started Vanguard, Tina Horowitz, she always has a mission going into every meeting. So if your mission is, you know, I want to I write this feature film, or I want to co-write, no, you don't. Okay, if your mission is you want to stay close to the material, but you don't need to write, then you can ask who the director he or she feels is going to, who's a good writer for this movie. Because it all starts from there, right? The, the vision of the screenwriter and the director when it comes to a movie. It starts with you originally with your content, but then after that. And if, if she were to feel simpatico with the director and excited, would you recommend that she would get an agent at that point or, or you know, go so through the process? there are two ways to go about that. Um, you have to be taken care of properly. So it would either be finding a film and television agent to handle that deal or hiring a lawyer to handle that deal. If you think it's going to move forward, then truly the next steps that that director is going to take is going to, they're going to want to option your book from you. I have a question that's not about adapting a book into a movie. It's actually good. I'm interested in working in a writer's room as a TV writer. Do agents work with TV writers who are starting out or like, do you kind of try to get into a writer's room through interns and stuff like that and work your way up and then get an agent? How does that work? So it works every way. So I feel like a lot of these answers are going to be, there's no blueprint for, but there is no blueprint. So the primary focus on my writing side in television or working with TV writers. So when did we take those people on? We take on people at all stages. Either they're, we actually just took on a really senior female writer who's just looking for a change from her representation. So she's incredible and we signed her last week. Or we take people from being authors and turning them into screenwriters or they've gone to the Canadian Film Center and They've come out and they want to start their life as a TV writer or, you know, like we work with people at all levels. We call them in the industry on this side, it's called baby writers. So either baby writers or senior writers and then everything in between. So yeah, we have a portal at Vanguard to submit unsolicited material because we actually can't accept it in our inbox um, legally, unsolicited material. But yeah, it can, you can send it through. From every agency, you can send it through, but it, they, they, on their website, they'll say specifically how, whether they're here or in the U.S., they'll tell you how to do it. So mine's just jumping off of that. Um, so when submitting specs, I've heard varying things. Are you looking more so for original content now or like specs pilots? So it, what, there was a time, probably why you hear different things is because there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, where people didn't want to read original material. They wanted to see that you can write for other people. So, so many people had this, these huge slates of spec pilots for shows on television. It's not to say that we still don't use them. Occasionally, it will come up that we'll need one to show that maybe, maybe their original pilot is a, is a comedy and the showrunner of the dramatic series wants to see if they can write for dramatic television, so we've sent a spec that they've written. But for the most part now, 
people read original material only because they want to see you have a strong point of view and what they're adding to the room and why they're hiring you is for that reason. To be honest, I would send anything that represents, that's the best extension of your work, like who that represents you at, at this moment as a writer. So don't send a lot to show that you're productive or prolific. It's like send one or two things that you feel very passionate about to start. And then the conversation, you'll probably hook someone and the conversation is, will open up all avenues of the things you can write and that you can talk about and send other material. Hi, so you spoke about uh, looking into published material. Uh, what about unpublished, unpublished work? Would you consider it, I mean, I recognize that it would be more advantageous to be published already, but if you're not, uh, what would catch your attention? If I have a character that I feel is compelling and would translate well onto the screen, what would grab your attention or what's the kind of process to pitch something? Secondly, in terms of transitioning as a, I'm a short story writer, into if I'm interested in television, I've signed up for a screenwriting course to begin with. Is there anything else you'd recommend to you know, get a better feel for that world of writing? Thank you. Unpublished work is harder, but that doesn't mean it's not great source material. It's just harder, but that doesn't mean any, anything really. So what would grab my personal attention, I think, was the question. Broadly, things that have a really strong and unique point of view, characters who are complex, there's legs for seasons or to carry an audience for two hours. A story that's compelling, I mean, that's pretty obvious though. So that's the answer, I think, to your first question. And second question, how you can make it. The screening course is a great place to start to see if you want to do this. So I thought I wanted to be a screenwriter. And after Queens, I went to California and I was in a program, fancy program for screenwriting. And I quickly learned when I saw everyone pitching their ideas and we had a, uh, like a mock writer's room that I, I would be giving business advice to my, cult, my fellow writers instead of actually focusing on the story. Or I would think too far, about, too far in advance than just tackling the actual story and I wasn't very good at it. Not to say you're not going to be good at it. You're going to be great. But you don't really know unless you, once you start unpacking your writing, if you're built for it. So that's a good place to start a screenwriting course. After that, if you are, getting a writer's group together of uh, television writers or screenwriters, whatever it is, the area that you want to focus on, would be a great place to share material, to story edit each other's work. That's a great thing. And then there's a, there's a lot of great programs set up in the country. There's one here, I mentioned it, the Canadian Film Center. It's extremely hard to get into, but it's an amazing program. And it uh, teaches you what a writer's room is, gets you working in the room with a showrunner, gets you working on your original idea. And like Orphan Black, that very successful show came out of Graham Manson being the showrunner in residence at the, at the CFC. And all those writers helped him create or develop, I should say, uh, create, develop Orphan Black. And the first season is actually was broken in, at the Canadian Film Center. 
So that's a great program. It's very hard to get into, but it, if, if you can, if you get, re- get rejected the first year, it's fine because most people do. And then there's another program in Vancouver that just started, and I'm forgetting the name right now, the Pacific Screenwriting Program, I think. That's an excellent program, and they're mirroring themselves a little bit after the Canadian Film Center, but on the West Coast. And, and it's a little easier right now to get into. It probably won't be forever, but right now it is. And then there's some other really good programs around the city, but those ones are the ones that are tied to the business right now. So it's an easier transition into, the, into being a working writer. Let me ask a follow-up question, Gull, if you don't mind, because you asked a question in the last one about a work you've been working on, and you didn't, you didn't mention the length of the piece you were working on, and I don't know if you're comfortable sharing it. I just, how long is it? 8,000. Because I was just, I, what I wanted to ask uh, Amy was a follow-up question about that in terms of the adaptability of different lengths of works that often, you know, a short, a longest short story, longer than 8,000 words, but a longest short story might adapt well for a film in a way a 100,000 uh, word novel may not, depending on the complexity of the storylines. And so I don't know if you can make a follow-up comment around sure. adaptability. So adaptability is a funny, a funny thing because your story is going to change, probably, because the, what works well in a book that you sit down and want to swallow up an entire novel or a long short story is very different than what works for five seasons of a TV show. And so I don't think it necessarily matters if it's 8,000 words or 100,000 words, but I do think personally the fundamentally the aspects of what makes a good film or what makes a good TV show have to be there. Writing a book is very isolating, I think, right? You're by yourself a lot. You have to trust yourself a lot. You may have an editor, but you have to trust yourself. So when you're writing a TV show or a screenplay, you ha- it's a huge collaboration. So it's just going to shift. It's just going to be different, and you just have to accept that. But if at the core you have the, the elements that are going to make a great television show or a great movie, it doesn't, I don't think it matters on the length. I just think it matters that the elements are there. You may have a better chance of someone reading your 8,000. Yeah, so just from a marketing perspective, just put my business hat on, from a marketing perspective, it might make sense to send out your 8,000-word essay or short story because I think you'll have a better shot at, if it's unpublished, you'll have a better shot at a producer or a director or a writer or whoever is interested in optioning it to read it versus a, a big novel. Thanks uh, again. This is my best friend today. Um, well, I wrote my question because, I, and it's still long. I am a writer for literature, film, music, stand-up comedy, and comic books. Um, actually published only for literature and music, but the others with independent uh, people, independent projects. I arrived in Canada two months ago, and I bought a notebook, and I wrote single sentence in giant characters. I came to Canada to have my own animated series with 40 seasons like The Simpsons. <laughs> and I cannot draw and I cannot animate, but I can learn. <laughs> so now my next step is I'm relaunching my YouTube channel. There are going to be cartoons, uh, my stand-up comedy, 
a web series, I still have to edit, you know, what it is, and etc. I want to join a writer's room. I've always wanted that. And uh, not to help other writers, uh, screenwriters uh, advance in their business, but to make stories like all day, every day. I want to join uh, Trevor Noah's uh, writer's room, Hassan Minaj's uh, writer's room, or now Lily Singh's writer's room from, from TV shows. I'm a huge TV show addict and animated shows. Yeah. And I love good, you know, good screenplays. A good stories, uh, uh, and I, yeah, just, I, I just admire them. I know how it works in France. I don't know how it works in Canada. So my next step for you, you, the YouTube channel was my, just my intuition and my guts, and so that I can learn how to animate and show people how I grow, how I start as a really bad drawer and uh, bad illustrator and animator, and how, how I become uh, like a big deal. And uh, um, here, do I need a, to have a degree? in screen writing or uh, creative writing to do anything. Yeah. But I really want to, you touch on something that's really exciting, which is animation. If you look at uh, children's shows and adult animated shows out there, 50% of the time, I'm going to say, I throw out that number, I think it's maybe more, it's based in IP. It's based on books that have been published or plays or characters that are already known in the world. If you, you're, you're a bit of a threat here, which is great, because if you have a published like graphic novel, for instance, that you feel could be an animated show, then right there, that's what I would hitch your wagon to. Hitch your wagon to. Hitch your wagon to. That would be a great way in for you. And that's the way, to, I think that's the way to do it. I way, if you don't know how to animate, you do know how to animate or you don't know how to animate. I found Free workshops, I love Toronto for that. Free, free workshops for 2D animation, like at least once a week. And, uh, and I just go there. even it's, it's There's a really good group called Women Drawn Together. You should go on Facebook and ask to join. It's primarily in the kids space. A bunch of women getting together quite often and they host these uh, networking events. Uh, usually at an animation company or a production company or you, anyway, it's a great opportunity for you to mingle and meet people and who knows, maybe you'll end up with a job out of it. And what about uh, uh, the capacity to do French language production? Yeah, I mean, they're a double threat that way too, yeah, right? they're a double threat as well. I mean, France and Canada have a co-production treaty, so it's something for you to think about. There's a lot of very cool French producers in Paris who are doing animation who come here to produce the show. So you can work in both countries and you also, this is like my money brain, you also be able to collect SACD royalties in France, which you can't hear. So we like money brain in this room. Yeah. What writer doesn't want to have some stability? I'm like, how can you make money <laughs> while you sleep? Um, <laughs> so that's a way, is to do a French-Canada co-production, and then years after it's done, you'll still be making money. 
or you could set it up at Cartoon Network and it'd be a massive hit for 30 seasons. That's also something you could do. But it's, uh, it's definitely an area that is growing and Canada is definitely known for it. So if, the, if there's anyone in here who's interested at all in animation or writing kids' books that could be TV shows that's, or movies, that's definitely an area to expand on. So I'm an actor that kind of just got into the writing world. This is something that I guess I didn't know that I enjoyed until I started doing it. And I was like, oh, I actually love doing this. So my question is, I just recently wrote a pilot, a 30-minute drama, which is not the usual hour-length drama. Exactly. But I'm like, Netflix, television, it's going everywhere. Now I also did a six-episode, basically, arc and plot. And so my next step, since I'm just so new to this world, is kind of like, okay, what's my next step in the sense of should I make a show Bible right away, like get it going now and kind of pitch it then or start kind of talking to people exclusively right now, kind of what's my next step do you think I should do in this process? So it sounds like you're pretty far along in the development of this. That's great. So congratulations. Thank you. So you could write a Bible just to further your instincts and knowledge on your own show. But if you feel you have a pitch ready to go out and you feel like you could sit solidly at, with producers or networks to pitch it, then why not go out now and pitch it? That's a great idea. How would you like, contact those producers or, or people in the uh, film? That industry? aren't represented? Yeah. Do you, are you represented as an actor? I'm represented as an actor, yes. Is it at a company that also represents writers? No. I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> You can, I don't know, Google machine. Go to the Google machine. Fancy Google machine. Just be like Canadian companies or look up your favorite television shows on IMDb. Figure out who produces them. Does the NSI have a list? I think the the National Screen Institute on their website has a list of Canadian production companies. That's actually a great source. And it's a great program. And NSI has a good um, workshop program. It's not a class. It's uh, you have to be to get into it. I think it's like a six-week program where you workshop here. So Joanne, uh, who's also an actor who's just published her first book, is, is wanting to add something there. I'm just going to say too that um, Actor Toronto, if you go to them, they have like the, um, a list of reputable, um, you know, safe agents for, uh, for actors. But if you look at, if you click on the links for all of those agencies, you'll see inside those agencies, you know, if they handle literary you know, authors and, and writers and screenwriters as well. So that would be a good way to sort of find additional um, agents that you could potentially, you know, pitch your, your, your show to as well. And, and of course, yeah, and you can Amy. look up, I mean, if you just, <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah. If you can look up, you can look up yeah. uh, Canadian literary agents, film and television. I mean, there's not many of us. There's about 20, quite frankly. And you can look up and see. But having Amy and Vanguard willing to, you should... You should, <laughs> you should definitely hold her feet to the fire and do that because... Uh, I mean, you're not always a fit for people. Like, that's the other thing is that the material has to speak to whoever agent, whichever agent you send it to, and you have to have good feeling from that agent because they're representing your work. But, I mean, it's good to have representation when you go pitch it around. You don't need it, though. Like, I don't want you to get frustrated if you don't find representation. You know, what am I supposed to do with this project now? You can contact Canadian production companies and meet with them and, and, and American production companies for that matter too. And that's not hard. Those aren't hard to find your favorite shows, I'm sure. 
Hi again. Um, so you talked about how a writer's room is a collaborative process. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like the baby writers in a writer's room versus the senior writers. And if you are co-authoring a piece where you would fall in the framework of a writer's room. Co-authoring what, like a script? Yeah. Of a series you created or a series that you've been invited to join the room? Um, let's say both. Okay. I don't care about it all. <laughs> um, so as a baby writer in a room, uh, there's not one way again. I wish I could give you exact ways of how things are going to unfold for you. Um, there's not one way for a baby writer to be treated in a room. You could get no scripts the entire season that you're on in that particular season, promising in the next season that you'll get a script. Or if your showrunner is really great and you're starting out as either a junior story editor in that room or a script coordinator, they might share a script with you. And that means when they actually mean share a script with you, it means you write half the script and it means you get half the credit. And that's a great first credit to have to co-author a, a series episode because not only do you get the recognition for that, you can put on your resume, you make some money, but it uh, can show, illustrate to the people in the room, not just the showrunner, but anyone else who are senior writers uh, who may have shows coming up that you're someone to watch and to bring into the, their rooms too. And oh, and if you created a show, if you created a show and yeah, you're set, uh, if you created a show and it's getting produced as a baby writer, if you have a good agent, they're going to get you a great deal where you're not sharing any scripts. You're writing a lot of them yourself and you're producing it with somebody who's very probably with a co-showrunner or a co-executive producer who's very senior who can help you along and show you the ropes. And you get all sorts of other things and then promises for future seasons of what happens if after that season you do a good job and second season maybe you don't need a co-showrunner or maybe you still want a co-showrunner but you want to write half the scripts or maybe you want to direct or you know, there's a million things that you can do if you have the powerful piece of IP that's turned into a show or just no book, but have created a television show that becomes a series. So a showrunner does everything. A showrunner, and not everyone's meant to be a showrunner. Um, I should also say uh, a showrunner can see the business and the creative. They can see the potential of a show. They can see how to uh, liaise with the producers and networks properly. A showrunner is in charge of the, cre the whole creative. That means from conception to post-production and everything in between. They run the room. They run the writer's room. They're on set. Sometimes they direct, sometimes they don't. They produce like all the minutiae they uh, choose every little detail either by themselves or with their co-creator and the producers. Obviously, the networks or studios have final say on all of that. They can't get everything they want, but a lot of the time, those networks and studios are turning to that showrunner to have the vision of bringing a TV show to life. You'd have to be careful in your selection of who that showrunner is because you want that showrunner to build you up, not tear you down. So you want that person to help you get, get you, work collaboratively with your vision to bring it to life. In your contract, if you have a good agent, it should say that you have mutual approval over who that showrunner is. Because if you have no TV experience, they're not going to just give you a show by yourself. In the U.S., 
it's a little easier, believe it or not, to get power very quickly than here. Power, I don't mean power in you know, maniacal sense of the word or anything. I mean power like they actually would probably turn to you for the vision versus the showrunner. The showrunner there would, you know, they, they, they like uh, strong points of view and they like to include the originator, the material. Versus here, it's like, you got to be careful. You got to dance the dance with your co-showrunner. Um, I uh, actually, I went to Vancouver Film School for writing, but it was a long time ago. And I know that uh, a lot of the writing rules have changed, obviously, since Netflix and all of that stuff came in. So uh, I kind of learned those models of 42 page versus 22 page for comedy and stuff like that. Are there still kind of templates that are being worked with for television or is it kind of now more open in terms of length of things and rules between is it drama, is it comedy, that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's different. I mean, it's open. I mean, dramas can be 22 minutes now. Yeah, it's open. This goes back to like strong points of view and strong vision. There are templates. They're your favorite shows you watch on television. And the internet is a magical thing and could probably, you could probably download a script, the pilot script of your favorite show. So that could be, that is, is used as a template, but there's no, there's no exact way you need to, there's no exact length anymore that you need to create your show. You know, there can be four part series. There can be 52 episodes in a series there. You know, we've seen it all now. So there's no templates except for you can use your favorite pilots as your model. But I don't know if that completely answers your question. If you have a strong vision, I guess this is what I wanted to get at. If you have a strong vision for how it needs to be told, like Russian Dolls is a perfect example. I don't know if everyone anyone watched it on Netflix, but that was like a philosophical, exploratory series written by four people. A drama, sort of, a comedic drama told in each script was between 22 and 32 minutes. Some were what's called bottle episodes where like nothing happened, but it was amazing. So there's no right way to do anything anymore, but that goes back to a strong vision. You have to know that that's what you're doing with it. You don't just do it as like a stunt to do, do a show of drama in 28 minutes. If it needs to be 60 minutes and you, you're telling a story that in a traditional sense, then do a traditional pilot. But if, you, if it needs to be short for a reason, then... Let me ask you about the... With the huge proliferation of streaming services, what is the situation now? What's the opportunity now versus historically for Canadian writers? It's changed. It's pretty amazing. Our market's contracted, unfortunately. Uh, We have four broadcasters, and they don't pick up a lot of stuff. CBC is actually the one that is producing tons of content right now. But the U.S. has 90-plus buyers different platforms and they're definitely open to, this is getting to my new show, but they're definitely open to a ton of Canadian writers. Um, even like, for instance, NBC has a new initiative for Canadian writers. All the streaming services don't care where you're from. They're going to make whatever's great and whatever is the best package. There's a big argument going on in the U.S. right now between U.S. agents and the WGA, which is Writers Guild of America, about packaging. And it's, it's terrible for them everybody involved actually. And as a result, like a happy result for Canadians, it's given Canadians an opportunity to go to be down there and pitching and getting their show set up while this argument is happening. But even if that wasn't happening, 
with these new streaming services and with it getting more competitive, with this new shift in what makes a network show versus a procedural versus a serialized drama and where things should land, there's a wealth of opportunity. Not to mention that things are borderless now in this world. So, you know, we have a lot of Canadian shows that that air on Netflix US and people think they're shows from the U.S., like Working Moms and uh, Schitt's Creek, and they think that they're U.S. shows, but they're not actually right here. Well, thank you so much. My colleagues are saying it is time to wrap up, so please join me in uh, thanking Amy very much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed this program. Please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast provider. If you're an emerging writer interested in receiving our open calls for submissions or invites to our events, please join our DD newsletter by emailing us at info at diasporadialogues.com with subscribe in the subject line. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.